we're going to continue on and finish up the series we've been doing called Who Do You Think You Are? Um, I'm sure some of you are going to be really sad that this one's over, but uh, after we wind this one up, we'll start over the next couple of weeks talking about Christmas, some great stories about Christmas scripturally that we can spend time in. We'll start a new series in the new year. Um, this has been an important series. We need to know who we are in Christ in order to experience the full and abundant life that Jesus has come for us to have. And our enemy is a master of identity theft. He's trying to steal that away from you. So um, knowing who we are in Christ is significant. We spent the last part of this series talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And what we've talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And this week, we're going to talk about self-control and what that means. So that's the intro. Silly thought, bad joke. My wife and I were actually having a discussion about which vow was most important. I won. <laughs> this actually happened this week. So I was having a discussion with Pastor Georgina, and they're, they're going to make a little trip uh, sometime in the future, and they're going to go to the Smithsonian Institute. And so she was telling me that, and she was excited. And I said, oh, you know, I went to the Air and Space Museum but there was nothing there. That was really funny. Thank you very much. Feel free to use that. This was texted to me this week. I had two. Uh, Want to hear a joke about paper? It's terrible. Last one. Texted to me. When I was little, my mom used to feed me alphabet soup claiming I loved it. I didn't really. She was just putting words in my mouth. Scripture reading here on purpose, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That has been our scripture reading now for the last nine weeks, I believe. And I've done that on purpose because I want that to resonate with you. I want you to know that one. That should just be there as you need it. And this is why. I think... That, that perhaps we've looked at this fruit of the Spirit and we've um, often thought to ourselves, well, you know, that's something I should be desiring to be. Uh, that, that's something, you know, I'm trying to attain. And yet, the reality is, the way Paul is describing it, that this is something that the Holy Spirit does in us. And so as believers, yielded to the Holy Spirit, we should be experiencing all these things in some measure in our lives. And I really believe that it's far more of an indicator that we're out of step than anything else. And we'll read that passage in Scripture and you'll see why in a moment. So if we're feeling unkind or unloving or impatient or if we find ourselves without a measure of peace or a measure of joy in our lives, chances are we're a little out of step with what the Spirit's doing and it's, it's just a, a Him getting our attention so that we reconnect. And so we've spent time looking at each aspect of the fruit so that we know what it should be like so that when we're not experiencing it, it should just put off warning lights in us. I'm a little out of step and I need to re-engage with, uh, and reconnect with the Holy Spirit so I can experience the life that He's called me to. So it's, I think, very important that we sort of get that together. So today we're going to talk about self-control. And that's a biggie. Uh, point number one, what is self-control? And so to launch into this discussion, I want to go back and and read from verse 19 of um, 
Galatians 5, and then we'll read through our scripture reading and we'll add a couple more verses on the end. Because Paul there is contrasting the life uh, of, uh, that's yielded to the Holy Spirit with a life that's more yielded to the flesh. So let's read this uh, here. Galatians 5.19 The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So in the beginning there, Paul is describing people out of control, and and then he talks about what it means to be uh, and have self control. It's a contrast between the believers who's learned to yield to the Holy Spirit and the person who's still trying to live as the center of their own story and the byproduct of that type of life. Um, hopefully by now you sort of figured out that a lot of the problems that you have in life are because of you. Does that uh, resonate with anybody at any time? I have a few quotes uh, that I thought you might like. This first one is this, looking back My life seems to be one long obstacle course with me as the chief obstacle. I thought that was pretty good. I really like this one. D.L. Moody. Most of you have heard of him. He was asked, of all the people you come in contact with, who gives you the most trouble? And he said, D.L. Moody. Isn't that great? I have the most trouble with myself. I love the response because I get it. I think it's it's really awesome. And then here's a sign. Uh, Here's your sign. I like this one. If you could kick the person responsible for most of your troubles, you wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. <laughs> so, the reality is that this is going on. We're, we, we make choices based on our flesh and we go all over the place and we choose to do things that we shouldn't and it's impacted us over the course of our lives. And, and yet, as we begin to have some victories over these things by yielding to the Holy Spirit, uh, it's amazing how we start having victories in other area and, and how he starts really working in all those things in our lives. So what's self-control? The, the word in the Greek um, means to get hold of or to get a grip on. Literally what it means is to get your hands on something until you're in control of it. Uh, Proverbs 25 and 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. Now at the time of this uh, was written, remember that the walls of a city were all that they had to defend themselves pretty much. That was their main deal. And if the walls were gone, they were defenseless. And the the writer of the proverb is saying that if we have no self-control, we're just like a city without any kind of protection. And we need to understand this. If you don't get anything else today, write this one down. Anything uncontrolled will harm your relationships. Anything that's out of control, uncontrolled, will harm your relationships. Harm your relationship with God, harm your relationships with others. But as we start to talk about self-control, I don't want you to confuse it with willpower. And I think that's where people often get sort of mixed up in looking at this whole idea because it's all about yielding to the Spirit. What's this? Now it's self-control. Well, true self-control 
is a gift from above. It's produced in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. And until we really get a hold of the idea and understand that it's received from outside of ourselves rather than whipped up from within, then any effort that we put forth in our own strength to control ourselves ultimately will lead us to give ourselves the credit. So if it's something that we can whip up from inside and sort of get a hold of, we will say, look, what a, what a good person I am or how good I've done or whatever it looks like. But that's not where we find life. We want to make sure that we're giving glory to God. And so we have to understand this about self-control is that it's a gift that um, uh, it's not received passively, it's, it's received actively. So, so we're not the source of self-control, but we're intimately involved in the process. It's like we open the gift and, and we let it in. We're yielding to the Holy Spirit. The, the picture I can think of is when uh, the people of Israel were delivered from bondage, um, God promised them a land, the promised land. And He made that promise. And that land was theirs, and they were going to have that land, and He was going to be with them. But they didn't just walk in without having to do some stuff to be involved. They had to sort of take it by force. Town by town, city by city, with God's help, they went in and they took over the promised land. Well, much the same with this idea of of self-control. We're actively and intimately involved in the process. You you might be able to trick yourself into some semblance of self-control. You you may be able to drum up the willpower to say no, but you'll get the glory. And that won't satisfy you as a believer. Because see, in our lives, we always want Jesus to get glory. And so... What we want to do is we want to control ourselves in the power that He supplies. That's the idea of self-control. It's controlling ourselves in the power that He supplies. So we, we learn to say no, but, but it, we take it deeper than that. It's not just no. We're, we're admitting and understanding our own brokenness, our own inadequacies, our own emptiness that's moving us in those directions. And, and, and then we ask Him for help. And we, we, you know, we cry out help. And we, we trust in the promises of God to supply the power that we need to make the choices where we're going to find life. Here's a great promise. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. It's funny. So I had that in my notes ready to go. And uh, last night, Saturday nights, we do things a little differently. We we do what we call dinner church. And uh, at the dinner church, we have a really good meal at 6.30. uh, And then we start at 7 with a song. And then I preach. And then we do the rest of our music. It's It's a neat, neat evening. And we go all out on the meals for that one because I'm trying to use it as a way for people to invite people to church, come and get a meal. And so we don't, we, we really, not that we don't always go all out, but we go out. And so last night it was a Chinese meal. We, we have some really good meals that we sort of rotate through. So as part of the Chinese meal, we have fortune cookies. Now, these are not your average fortune cookies because inside each fortune cookie is a Bible verse. I didn't know if you knew you could get those, but you can get anything on the internet. And so... I make sure we have them. And, you know, I want to make sure that they're fresh and everything. So uh, last night I opened the bag and put them in a big bowl and I grabbed one out of the bowl and I opened it and I pulled out the verse and the verse was Philippians 4.13. I can do anything through Him who gives me strength. Now, see, I don't believe in coincidence. 
I believe in a God that's intimately and actively involved in life. And when we're connecting the way we should, those things are happening all the time. It's just, it's, he's weaving you into his story and, and he's so involved that those things happen. And don't just dismiss them and write them off. Lots of people are really missing what God's up to. Oh, that was a coincidence. There was nothing coincidence about that. It was just God's way of saying, good, here you go, you're right on track. Because, you know, it was a big bowl of cookies and who knew what was in there, right? And that was really cool that that happened. And I believe that's God. And that He does those things all the time. So we need to be aware of that in our lives. And then with this idea, I can do all things for Him who gives me strength. See, each time that we um, take a step in the right direction in the power supplied by the Holy Spirit, it's a win. And He wants to build and grow on those over the course of our lives. And that's this idea then of self-control in the process. It's not about us by our willpower bringing ourselves under control. It's about using and understanding and knowing and allowing His power to help us control ourselves, to make choices that uh, make a difference in our life. So what does it look like so we can know if we're not getting it? Point number two, how is self-control expressed? A, part of this is about being responsible being responsible. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What do I mean by all of that? Uh, We have a tendency to sort of try to blame other people and situations for our messes. And we get pretty good at it. Uh, It's hard for a lot of us to admit when we're wrong. We we don't even like saying it. If we do have to say I was wrong, we usually throw in a but, and then we list all the reasons why. Uh, We were wrong, but it's not our fault because of all these other things. Now, I would would say that culturally, that's a huge dynamic right now. Um, People are trying to figure out, you know, why they were not doing what they were supposed to do. And and let me say this. It's good to know um, the impacts that your life has had on your choices and why you might have a sort of... um, tendency to move in a direction that's not healthy. But, but it's good to expose that. It's not good to use that as an excuse to continue doing things that you shouldn't. That's the difference in those things. And so you, you might have a sort of a tendency to move in a certain direction, but, but you, you then know that God can help you move out of that. So I'd, I'd say it was a cultural thing, but it's also been going on since the very beginning. This, this desire to want to blame somebody else for our issues. And uh, a sort of a perfect example is back in Genesis chapter 3. And um, what I'm going to tell you is, is we call this in our house the Adamic proclivity. And uh, so let me explain that to you. We have, we have this thing to happen. So if you remember back at the creation, everything was awesome. You know, God made an amazing creation. He created Adam and Eve, and they were in perfect union, and they enjoyed themselves and one another, and they enjoyed God. And everything in creation was yes, 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 yes. All for you, except that one little tree. Stay away from there. Get the picture. You know what happens. They're deceived into that one tree. That, that one thing that they were told no, they fall for, and everything turns bad at the fall. Everything happens. And God comes to Adam, and he said, Adam, what's up? And his response is in Genesis 3.12. You can go and look at it. He says this to God, the woman you put here with me. you get what he did just then? Not only does he blame Eve, he blames God. Everything was fine before that happened. That's your fault, not mine. Wow. And he's talking to God, right? That's huge. Do you get the the tendency? That's our Adamic proclivity. 
is to try and blame someone else. What does Eve do when she's questioned? She goes, well, the devil made me do it. Some of you have tried that one. He can't make you do anything. But we'll use it as an excuse if we need to. So we, we have this Adamic proclivity. We want to blame something. Alice and I... So in our family, we'll toss that out when we're, we're not owning up things. Um, but we have fun with it. But anyway, yesterday, so my... Uh, our little dog Mia, it's like our baby now, um, she had a, a, she's had a, for a few days a stomach issue um, re- resulting in diarrhea. So uh, can you say diarrhea in church? I just did. So I've said it twice now. And so we changed her diet a little bit and, you know, we were praying for her and we were watching her and, and you know, and then she would be okay and then she wasn't okay. Well, yesterday morning, uh, she, she had diarrhea. And so... Um, I cleaned it up. I thought that's the right thing to do. And then when, when Alice woke up a little while later, I said, hey, this has happened. You know, we need to take her to the vet. And she agreed. And, uh, and so then she looks at me and she asks me this. You won't hear this question very often. She says, where's the poop? And what? <laughs> well, I cleaned it up. You threw it away? Of course I threw it away. I'm not, I'm not in the habit of hanging on to poop. It's disgusting. So we're going to the vet. I said, yeah. Well, we need to poop. I said, well, it's too late now. So we walk into the vet, go up to the desk, and this, my wife goes up. And So my wife used to work. She was a vet person, so she knows what we're supposed to have. She walks up to the vet and goes to the counter. Says, this is my dog, Mia. Ask him why we don't have any poop. <laughs> and that lady's just looking at me. Like, like, I cleaned it, I guess. You know, I'm not supposed to clean it. So listen, on a lot of these things, we, we just have to own our own stuff and deal with it, or we'll never get any better. If you're stuck in some sort of sin cycle, you, you, it's partly on you now. You have to know that it's you. It could be all sorts of situations happen, but you're still making that choice that ultimately gets you there. And if you ever want to set free from that, you have to admit that you're powerless over it and ask for help. That's how it happens. You ask him for help, you ask people around you for help, but you have to get to the point that I'm stuck and I shouldn't be stuck and I can't blame anybody else. Now it's me. And then you can start being set free from it and God can start working in it and you do what you need to in that process. But you'll never do it if you're not responsible. B, we have to live with integrity. Part of this self-control is about being people of integrity. I talked about integrity some weeks ago, but I think it's even more powerful with the idea of being under the control of the Holy Spirit and operating in His power. So integrity is this way of living that what you say you believe is how you're trying to live your life. We talk about living by trying to do the next right thing. And I'll often say that one of the ways to get there is to, is to live um, like someone is watching you. And pin people, that freaks people out. But, but see, somebody is watching you all the time. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. That word everywhere means just that. Keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, the enemy will sneak in and he'll try and sort of get us to do things because nobody's watching. Nobody's, nobody's going to know. You'll never get caught. But, and and he, he tries to get us to start using rational lies to do things that we shouldn't. use. That's rationalize, right? Ever tr- and, and that's the enemy's really good at that. But if we're, if we're being people of integrity, we know it doesn't make any difference if someone's watching or not, or if somebody's going to know or not. We just want to do the right thing, regardless of that situation. And, and, and so 
you know, we, we want to live that way. We, we never want to think, oh, I could get away with this or that or whatever because nobody will know. God knows, and He wants you to be settled in Him in the process. And, and this idea of living like somebody's watching is really very, very freeing. To God's watching, and it's okay to be who we are in front of Him, even in our messes and stuff, because He loves us and He's for us, and we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. And when we do choose to go in the wrong direction, we know that, that we can go back to Him, and He just, He, you know, we basically are saying to Him, well, that was wrong, and your way is right, and I want to live your way, and He just loves on us and hugs on us and sends us out there to do it again, and do it under the power of the Spirit, and do the right thing, in order that we can live a life that pleases Him. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. See, this idea is that as we continue to walk and yield more and more, we're growing in Him and we're choosing to do the right thing more and more and it's impacting us more and more so that we can experience life. But this type of living isn't possible without His help. It's only as you understand that He's the one that empowers you to live that way that you really get set free. I shared this little quote with you when I talked about integrity some weeks ago, but I think it's even more powerful, understanding the help of the Holy Spirit in the process. So Henry Nouwen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. This is what she said. Spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. I just think that's so simple and powerful. Just don't do what you know is wrong. Don't do it. And when you feel tempted, just ask for help. And He'll empower you to do the right thing. Self-control is a gift from above, produced in us and through us by God's Spirit. And, And so we should be the most hopeful people in the world about living lives that are freed from all that mess because He's got us and He's with us and He's for us. Amen?